morning, the message is called Tipping Over Your Hourglass. The Wellies gave, well, lent me an uh, hourglass to use for this morning. Just a little bit about hourglasses. Hourglasses are, two, are usually blown glass. And there's sand in the middle. If you want to get technical, the sand's got to be one-twelfth to one-fiftieth the size of the neck opening to fit through there properly to measure out the time. Does anybody care? Probably not. All right, so that, that's what happens. They were first used uh, primarily at sea before Christ and back in the olden days. They would take these at sea because obviously the, if they're blown glass, you couldn't get any water in there. The sand could go through there and you could keep accurate time. And there's a man, um, later on he made some advancement, but a man named John Harrison made some improvements, made a device similar to an hourglass, and he used it to keep time on a journey from England to Jamaica. And his, his timepiece with an hourglass was within five seconds accuracy from England to Jamaica. I, that's pretty good, I would say. That's pretty good. Well, they also used these, started, they started using these in the Middle Ages, at churches, that was the primary places to use them. And they actually used them to keep track of the pastor's sermons. <laughs> so apparently when the, the sand was used up, the sermon was supposed to be done. So I found an hour-long hourglass, and I'm so glad that you came to, actually it's, it's quite a bit short, it's about 20 minutes. It's about 20 minutes, so don't worry, you're okay. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 90. It says a lot about time in Psalm 90. It talks about eternity, decades, days, and even instant, an instant. And while this psalm might have a lot to say about time, it, it's more than that. I would say it's, it's about perspective. It's about God's perspective that he has and man's perspective that we have. And it finishes with a prayer. And the prayer is to pull us from the perspective we're naturally going to have, the perspective we're born with, into one, instead, where God's at. This morning, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 90, to follow along with this psalm with me, and let's see if we can maybe gather a little bit what God might be speaking to us about gaining his perspective. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that gives us truth for life, that shows us how to live. Lord, Psalm 90, I, Lord, I, I know it has some truth in it. It's some useful things for us to know, uh, a different way to live, a different way to think, so that we're not just doing what we have been doing, but instead gaining and living from your perspective. I pray that that's what would happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 90, but in your program, there's also an outline. If, if it's helpful, you could turn to that this morning. It may be fill in the blanks. That might be, might be useful. Some information, though, is, is you might be looking for that. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. It's the only psalm attributed to Moses. And we know that Moses knew God well. You might recall the story. He went on top of Mount Sinai and got direct communication from God for the Ten Commandments. That'd be pretty sweet, I think. 
Hear from God that way. He saw God. We were told that as he was walking by, he was able to see, see God. This psalm was written near the end of Moses' life. And it has one of the most clear, succinct descriptions of the differences between how God sees life and how God sees what's going on and how man might see it, how man observes and takes in what's going on. And on his mind right now, as he's writing out this psalm, is the promised land. Psalm 90, written near the end of Moses' life, is, is about Moses trying to grapple with what he thought would happen and what reality was. And maybe you've been there in life. This is where maybe the midlife crisis comes. We, we thought we would be here and instead we're there. Or maybe you get near the end of what you think your life might be and you thought, I thought I was going to be at this point, but I, I'm not there. I, this is where I ended up. Or maybe somewhere in the middle of those, those stages where we think things are supposed to happen a certain way, but instead it's something else. That's where Moses is writing this psalm from. He's right on the edge. I can just imagine he's standing on the banks of the Jordan River and right across that river is the promised land. It's right there. And just think about that. Promised. Promised. It's supposed to come. It's a promise. It's, it's supposed to be. There. And there's this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. And I don't know about milk and honey flowing. I don't know if I understand that. But the whole idea, this is good, good land over here. And they've been doing what for the last 40 years? Wandering through a desert. Now if you love someone, what do you want to do? You want to give them this good thing. And he's looking at his people behind him, maybe a million, million and a half people, and right across the river is this beautiful land. Wouldn't it be so good if we could, doesn't God love his people? Do we agree? Does God love his people? If, if God loves his people and he knows us and he has all these good things, wouldn't it be good for him to give them this promised land? Wouldn't that be what they most want? Isn't, what's missing here? And Moses is writing the psalm saying, God, we're here. We're on the border. Just let us through. But if you know the story, if you know a little bit of the backstory, years before, they were right on the edge. This is the second time to the edge of the promised land. They'd gotten there before, and they sent out some spies. Spies came back and said, it's going to be too tough. This is too hard. We don't want that business. And so God said, okay. Manna, quail, water in the desert, that wasn't enough to prove I could do this for you? Okay. The next generation is going to get the promised land. You're going to have to wait. But Moses comes back, comes back to God and says, maybe this might happen. And this psalm is, is a new understanding a different grasp, but that maybe while we desire this certain thing, this promised land, maybe we could do something. We could tip our hourglass over and see things from a different perspective. Maybe what God would want for us is completely different. What, what we think would be best is very different than what God might think for us. Unfortunately for you, our hourglass tipped, and the sermon could get really long, couldn't it? There's no sand running through there. 
Don't worry, I'll tip it back up. Don't worry. I, I saw some nervous faces out there. All right. All right, so when we realize that our time is running out, urgency can creep in. We start realizing, um, things need to start happening here. If you hear that buzzer on your oven, what do we do? We get out of our chair and we're, we're pulling whatever was in the oven out. Why? What's going to happen? It's going to burn, right? If you, you, that, that, the, the sports teams out there, as the time runs down, if you ever watch an NBA game, they don't even play basketball to the fourth quarter, and then they all of a sudden try really hard. Like, what were they doing the first three? Um, so all these things happen. And as time runs, this urgency starts happening. And I think Moses, personally, and for his people, is realizing things got to start happening here. Forty years in a desert has a way of clarifying things, wouldn't you say? Maybe who God is, who we are, and what we most need. Have you ever really wanted something? If, as you sit here this morning, if you think about maybe, maybe even right now, you're thinking, I really could use, and we want that. It, maybe not the promised land, we don't need that perhaps, but something different. Maybe, maybe a relationship to be restored, a deal to be finalized. Maybe someone made a promise to you at one time, and you're like, it'd be nice if that promise got kept for that money to come in. And so we have in our minds what we might most need, what we most want. And Psalm 90 is something to maybe tip over that perspective, tip our hourglass and see things from God's perspective. But first, let's talk about who God is. So let's look at Psalm 90. Let's read what it says about God. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. It's on the screen. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as well. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from ever to ever, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before creation, before the great things of this world, outside of time, outside of anything we can think of, God is everlasting. God doesn't need an hourglass because he made the hourglass. He's the eternity past. He's the eternity future. He is outside of time. And God's eternity then stands in contrast to man is. So who is man? Man is dust. If you read on in Psalm 90 verses 3 and 4, it says, You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. How many of you have seen dust before? Some of you? It's in my house. It's, it's everywhere, right? Those dust bunnies. Have you ever seen these dust bunnies? You, you chase them around your house and they don't even go in your dustpan? Who collects dust bunnies? I know I, at our house, you don't have to collect them. They just naturally appear from wherever. That's what dust is. Who wants dust? We just want to get rid of it, right? What is dust worth to any of us? I, I suppose sawdust might be useful for soaking up something, but for the most part, dust is worthless. So in contrast to God's eternity, what is man? 
It's like dust. Something that you don't even need. Something you don't even maybe want. We're compared to different things. A thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by. It, it says like a watch in the night. Now, a watch in the night would be like about a three-hour span for someone watching over a city or watching over a ship at night. Now, if you're awake from, say, three to six in the morning, that's a, has anybody done that before? That's a long time. Has anybody done that? That's a long time, right? But let's say instead of staying awake for that time, you're sleeping during that time. How long is three o'clock to six o'clock if you're sleeping? For me, it goes by really fast. It's like instant, pretty much. That's what it's comparing to. Like a watch in the night is how long man is. Boom, it's gone. You fall asleep and then it, all it feels like, and that's what it's, it's this, this concept of man is that fast. God is not even in time. Take a moment to think about your achievements. If you could, go back. What was your most, if you could, someone were to write the biography of your life and they were to, and the most significant achievement was, and they were to write it down. In the scope of all eternity, of the however seven billion people or whatever, how important was that achievement? Probably not good to think about that too long. <laughs> uh, that's kind of interesting. Psalm 90, in the next verse, pivots then to help us understand maybe God's perspective is different than ours in what we might do. I'm going to read a few verses and we're going to end up on Psalm 90, 10 and 11. So just follow. If you have your Bible, I'll be starting with verse 5. I'll be finishing on verse 11. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. From last week's message on Psalm 2, and then repeated again in this, this one, God has wrath. And if we were to be honest with ourselves and we we're honest with the world around us, we'd have to say, we deserve the wrath of God. And that anger is real. As we look through this, we can, we can see how our perspective is just limited. We don't understand. It, verse 10, it says, the length of our days is 70 years, 80, if we have the strength. There, there's not much to us. Compared to eternity, we just can't match up. I would say as we look into our world around us, the, the disparity that we're facing between who we are and who God is is many, many times the reason why we intrinsically, we just know inside of ourselves, we don't match up to where things should be. 
So that's where self-medicating happens. People maybe drink or they pursue a, 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 a relationship or they, they go down a career path. They do any number of things to try to make us feel fulfilled. If Moses were here, he'd say, God, if you just gave us the promised land, then we'd it, it'd all be okay. But God, in his wisdom, knows actually those things are not going to be enough. We, we try different things and maybe, maybe we think it'll tip the hourglass over. It'll make our life, you know, that 70 or 80 years, it'll be greater if this happened. But God is saying, actually, no. You're going to need something different. He gives insight to Moses at this point. The end of this psalm ends with a prayer. And this prayer for Moses' people could be our prayer as well. Something that would bring us from our perspective into God's. As parents, we might look at our children and we might say, oh, let's, to keep them from hurting, let's take them out of something, protect them. Keep them from hurting themselves. But as parents, we know we can't always do that. Instead, life happens. And life also allows opportunities for grace to happen. And I think God understands that maybe instead of giving us what we want, he gives us life and then he, he, that gives us the opportunity for his grace to be extended to us. Let's look into what this prayer for us and what it might be. Psalm 90, starting with verse 12. And this is the four-part prayer that Moses has for, for us and his people. First, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To value and make use of each and every day is the first part of God's prayer for us. God is eternal, and to gain God's eternal perspective, we should make, each, make use of each day that he has given to us. What exactly is a day worth? We should properly value each one of them. Not rushing through our days and not sleeping through our days. Properly understanding what each one means. We miss the best things because we typically do one or the other. We rush through them or sleep through them. I would say I'm the rushing person. I'm the one that's trying to do one more thing in my day. Like if, if there's time for four things, I'm going to do seven. And that's a problem because I miss out on these good things that might be happening. Last week, we had a, a significant soccer game for this team I coach. And as I'm running around getting these things ready and doing all these things, one of the players comes up to me and goes, Coach, you're pretty excited over here, aren't you? And I could tell, like, the way I was just kind of rushing around, I was sending the wrong message to the team. Rush, you know, rushing is not what we want. We want to be thoughtful and productive. We want to be efficient in what we do. And maybe that's a, a, an issue that maybe someone in this room might have, like, like me, where we, we're running around and we're trying to do too many things. On the other side might be the person that's sleeping through. They're, they're, there's great opportunity right in front of them, but they're, they're not seeking out and grabbing those things. We should be both. 
And why? To gain a heart of wisdom. In each situation, we want to handle it the right way. How can we have the right wisdom to handle whatever might come our way? When God saw injustice, what was he like? He was angry. I hope that if we were to handle each situation correctly, we would be angry at the injustice we see in our world. When we see someone that needs care, we would be able to take the time and care for them, to love them. When we realize someone in our world that we love and care about so much that didn't know about Jesus, didn't know the gospel, then we would find ways to share that with them. The heart of wisdom is something for each one of us that we might be able to properly grasp what was happening in any situation and deal with it appropriately. In most of my days, I think I, I, I handle it okay, but I could do better. I, I don't handle it quite the way it should be. As I maybe grow older and, and maybe wiser, maybe I can start handling those situations better. I can see what's happening and I can deal with it more properly. What's a challenge that you might be facing right now? You might even jot it down. What is, like if you were to write down the one biggest challenge that you're taking that you might face today or this week, how might God use that challenge for our good? If, if God were here and he were to speak to us, I, I want to take that challenge in your face. I want to tip your hourglass over of your life how could I use that challenge for your good purpose? It's not by accident he gave those, he's allowed those things to come into our life. Those are the kinds of things that allow us to see and understand and know things and see things from his perspective and just, instead of just a human one. Maybe this week something will happen where something inside of you will well up and you're just going to be angry and you're going to realize in that moment, if God, if you ask for this, God will answer this prayer. You think, you're feeling safe to be angry, but your heart of wisdom says, no, I'm going to be calm. And maybe most every time you walk by that person or you don't pick up on the nuances of what they're saying, but this week maybe with the heart of wisdom, you'll hear what they're actually trying to say and you'll respond appropriately. If you ask for that kind of guidance and wisdom, that's what the Holy Spirit is designed to do. He's designed to speak to us in every moment, every situation. Here at Bethany, we've been going through prayer since January. There's these prayer groups that happen every day. I would say that is outstanding, and I think it helps get us closer to this idea that we should pray without ceasing. Bethany Church will be a better place if we are those kinds of people that are praying through any and every situation, asking God to give us insight and wisdom. How should I handle that given moment in his way? This first part, to teach us to number our days, is sort of a way of how we might handle our outside world that's coming to us. The next part of the prayer is perhaps how we'll handle the inside, the internal part that's going on with us. Satisfy us with your love. Psalm 90 verse 14 reads, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. 
seems like to me, no matter how much I might eat, I'm probably going to get hungry again. No matter how much you sleep, you can sleep some more in a day or so. We're never satisfied. We could have as much whatever it is you can think of on this earth, and it won't be enough. This concept is something as humans we struggle with. And so it's in the Bible a lot. These verses, these concepts are repeated many times. Maybe you've heard this one. This is Matthew 5 or 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's right, they're filled. The people that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness are filled up. They're satisfied. They have enough. Maybe you've heard this one. This is from Paul. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Have you seen the stories about the movie stars, about the rock stars, that professional athletes that have everything and the messed up lives that some of them end up living? Well, they're not satisfied with those things because they can't satisfy it. The person that wins the championship, guess what? Next year, someone else is going to win it. Nothing's satisfied. Paul goes on to write, I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This is something like uncovering a mystery. Our world is looking for this. Maybe instead of getting what we want, we need to be looking at something different to be satisfied with God's love. Tipping the hourglass might be instead of the promised land, maybe God wants to give us something better, a relationship with him. That's worth having. That's true satisfaction. That's real life. Maybe the challenge, the issue, the whatever we're facing right now is not so much so that we don't get what we think we want, but God wants to point us to something greater, something more important that we really need. Can you think of a hard time, that hard day, perhaps a hard season? I can think back in my life, I've had, I've had hard years. Maybe you've had hard, hard life. Moses could say, I had a tough 40 years. These people didn't listen to me and we were in the desert. It was awful. But, but he could also point to, my God was pointing me to be satisfied and find something better to care about. To be satisfied, we have to be able to see what God is doing. Part three is being able to see a little bit better what God is doing. Psalm 90 verse 16 says this, May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Many times the problem is not so much that God isn't doing things, it's that we're not seeing it. I would say God is speaking into us. He's showing us all around us, if we look outside, we can look out that window right now, we can see God doing some good things and we are missing it. it. It's not do more things, God, do more things, God. It's show us, open our eyes to what it might be about. What in our world has God done? What has he done? All things are from him, all the good things. We might give praise to God, honor him for what it is he is about. 
what is he responsible for? If you think about the most remarkable things in our lives, he's the one that made it happen. The things that are most remembering are from him. The final part of Moses' prayer for us is that God's favor might rest upon us. That God's favor might rest upon us. Psalm 90 verse 17 says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Unless God starts doing something in our lives, unless he's the one that does things, most of the things we do are probably not much worth doing. It's just more busy work, more activity. Psalm 127 verse 1 tells us, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. As I look at my calendar, and maybe you might do this later today, maybe even this morning, you got your smartphone out, you got your calendar, you can look through your week, and you probably have some things on there. Now this is really important, and so you write it down. You put it in your calendar. I don't want to forget that, so I'm going to do this. This is really what I want to be, a, be about. But I would say, rather, this psalm would be saying to tip your hourglass over, to get ourselves in God's perspective, what would God, asking the question, what would God say is the most important thing about this week? May God establish the work of our hands. I think that's most likely to happen when we start, when we start putting ourselves not so much in what we think our week should be about or maybe what somebody else is telling us what our week should be about, but instead, what does God have to say what our week should be about? God establishes and makes things last that are his. Tipping our hourglass over means spending more time thinking about and doing the things that he is about. The question I find myself asking more and more, what can I put my time, my resources, my effort into? What will have lasting value? Tipping my hourglass means realigning my perspective. Our dust-like, our insignificant, our short-term, our very narrow focus into God's eternal one. That's when perspective might change. More than the promised land, Moses' people need to have God's perspective. Any hope of the promise that they might have, needed to begin with an acknowledgement of the mess they were living in, the mess in their hearts, the mess of who they are, not so much how holy and righteous they were because no one is. Moses may have wished for the promised land, but he mo- knew what they most needed was something different. These, these promises, these four things that they could pray for. Today I invite you to tip your hourglass over and join in with that perspective. I had an interesting interaction over the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, someone came to our church and asked if I would visit their, their, their loved one, their mother, in, in the nursing home. So I decided I would try to go about and do that. And on Monday, the day after they visited, it didn't work out, so I went on Tuesday instead. And um, they were in this nursing home, and 
I went in to see this lady. Her name's Elvira. So I walked into the front door of the nursing home. I walked in and I asked the lady there, where could I find Elvira? Sure, sure enough, she was in this side room over here and she had this plastic thing on her head that was blowing air. And you ever, if you ever go to these places, they, have, they put curlers in your hair and they, and they, I've never had it done to myself, but this is, this is what they do. They stick curlers in your hair and, and they dry it and then after a while, they take the thing off and then they pull the curlers out. And they, so I saw this whole operation go on. And Elvira couldn't hear anything that I was saying because she, had, she didn't have her hearing aids in. So they, they wheeled her back to her room and they put some hearing aids in. And oh, now she could hear. And then um, she, she didn't have her glasses on. So she couldn't see anything or couldn't see much. And so they gave her some glasses and finally she could see. You know, and so, oh, Elvira, it's me. I'm Joe. You, we don't know each other. But I thought I'd stop by and say hi. And so we're talking, and of course, what, did, what does Elvira want to talk about? She talked about her children. So I heard all about her seven kids. So she told me about her seven children and what happened here and what happened there and all these things. And, I, and the, the person that came to our church said she'd, she'd like a communion service. She hasn't been able to go to communion. So I, I brought these two little cups these two little cups, I had them in my pocket. And I pulled them out. I, as, as the time was kind of winding down, I go, Elvira, would it be all right if we had communion service today? And tears started coming to her eyes. And she said, I would love that. Can I just tell you, that was the, the most meaningful communion service I've ever been a part of. There's little room. I was sitting in this recliner chair and she was sitting in her wheelchair and we had communion together. And these, the communion was not significant as far as the, like the taste. We peeled off the top layer of this little cup and there's this little piece of bread and it was stale. It was not very good. It was not. I'm just telling you. I had some and she had some. I was like, oh, not good. So we had it and, and we talked about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. What it means to have your sins forgiven. What it means to be in right relationship with God. Is that, spe- is that important? That's really important. And then we peeled back the second layer, and it's, it's the juice. And so we, we talked about how the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. How we can be right with God because of what he did on the cross. That was, that was like, it was so good. The, the sun was, it was a day like this. The sun was coming in filtered through these trees and there's, the window was just cracked like this much. You could smell fall and it, would, it was just really nice. I, I'm doing this communion service but it, it, it was mostly for me, I think, not Elvira. And so we're sitting there, we're doing this and I said, Elvira, maybe, maybe we'll be back next month. And she thought that'd be nice. So we, that's what we did. And I left. Um, on Sunday, Pastor Kim gave me a phone call and it turned out that Elvira actually passed away on Sunday. And it was a surprise. I, I just saw her on Tuesday. How is this possible? But I can tell you, Elvira is in a very good spot today. Elvira is doing just fine. Her hourglass, I can tell you, she had, somewhere along the line, she had, she, her hourglass is tipped. Like hers is, Easily, I could tell you, hers is tipped right over because her perspective was in the right spot. 
I would wish that for all of us. I wish that all of us could be able to tip over our hourglass and see things from his perspective more than ours. I believe that is the where, that is where our, our God starts to become more real and things that mean the most, that's what we, we start caring about. Psalm 90 is Moses' prayer for his people, but I think it relates for us. I think it relates for us for today. I would invite you to seek God's perspective and seek that this week. Let's go ahead and pray about that. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we had to look at your word, to understand a little bit better what you're about. I pray that Psalm 90 would not just be words in a book, it'd be things we try to live by. I thank you for Elvira and her story and how that was meaningful to me. I pray that many people that come to Bethany would come to that spot where it's not so much our story, but your story becomes most important and our temporary perspective changes to yours. We put this day and this time, this week in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.